Ladies and gentlemen, we are live for episode one of the Average to Elite podcast. Now, this is something I've been wanting to do for a very, very long period of time and it's absolutely amazing to finally get it up and running. Um, and I got so much sort of value, material, and content uh, to cover over the next few weeks to months. Uh, something I really can't wait to share with you. So before we get into the thick of today's podcast, um, I really just want to sort of cover, first of all, who I am, in case you don't know who I am, and second of all, what the main aims and objectives of this podcast is. So why am I really doing this? So before we get into that, so first of all, who am I? Uh, my name's Chris Lowe. I'm a sports nutritionist, and I primarily do three things. So I work one-on-one with athletes through my online coaching program. I educate and mentor strength and conditioning coaches so they can have greater impact with their nutrition programming for their athletes. And then thirdly, I work with WASPs Rugby as their performance nutritionist. So my main goal, my mission statement is to make sure athletes are always eating correctly, they have the education and their power to make the right choices so they can always perform at their best when it matters the most, whether that's in training, whether that's in uh, competitions, events, games, you name it. Um, I never want any of my athletes to be lagging in this area. So this is where my athletes will come to me. They are perhaps average with their nutrition. They go through the process and then they are elite with their nutrition after it. And this is the way I want to take this podcast. Now, this isn't necessarily uh, going to be average to elite with regards to nutrition. I want to bring in guest speakers, experts in their field with regards to strength and conditioning coaches, sports psychologists, uh, sports medicine, um, you know, rehabilitation specialists, you know, you name it. I'm going to try and bring all of them on board. So we really make sure that every component of our sports performance is going to be maximized. I don't want any area of your performance to be average. We're going to be looking at how to fine tune everything so you are elite with it at the end of the day. The only thing that perhaps you need to work on then is the skill specific stuff, which unfortunately I will not be able to help you with from this element. Um, so this is the uh, way I want to take the podcast going forward and just to make sure you have all the tools in your toolbox uh, and you know you can have the implementation strategies as well to go away and do it. Um, like a big thing for me is I don't need to be like a hoarder of information. I actually want it to be implementing, taking action and seeing very, very good results from this. And essentially this is um, the whole purpose of the podcast. So without further ado, we will get into the thick of episode one. So today we're going to cover the five mistakes or five most common mistakes I see athletes make when trying to drop body fat. So I thought I'd kick this off with probably the nicest and probably uh, most useful topics to many athletes. By all means, it's probably not going to be overly important or useful right now during um, you know, the coronavirus pandemic. But when everything eventually blows over, when this happens, uh, sports will resume to normal, uh, competitions will be rescheduled, and be very much beneficial during these periods. So is essentially now we're just trying to equip you with everything you need to know for that period. And by all means, you can still practice some of these um, because they are going to be relevant during this period of lockdown and so on. Um, 
Uh, what we've one question I do get asked quite a lot is when it comes to fat loss and nutrition, what's the difference between you know athletes and general population? So the guys and girls out there who don't compete, and very much the thing of like we need to focus think of athletes as people first, as daft and as simple as that sounds. You know they still are people first, and they still have all the same issues and needs as everyone else. Um, you know, they still like pizza, like burgers, like going out for socials, you know, drinks, all that kind of stuff. We still have to sort of address these kind of things first, and they're very much our low-hanging fruit. And once we kind of got all the foundational stuff sorted, then we kind of always look at the performance-based nutrition, and that's when we just tweak everything. But generally speaking, the base diet between, um, you know, a recreational athlete and elite-level athlete a person just goes to the gym like the base level is very very simple that's still like your healthy eating habits all we're doing on top of this with you know recreational and elite athletes is just fine-tuning the strategy on top and that's just down to maybe periodization game day competition performance strategies hydration strategies all that kind of stuff which you know we're going to be covering in due course um but to get back on track and I do take, you know, as you probably imagine, I will take many tangents and many detours across these podcasts. Um, so if we cover uh, point number one of essentially point one of five in terms of the mistakes athletes make when trying to drop body fat is number one is that they just try to do too much too soon. So they go into things too aggressive with their fat loss um, aspirations. So the calorie deficit is just too damn big with them. So when we look at dropping body fat, we know that we need to be in a calorie deficit. I we need to be consuming fewer calories than we expend. That is fat loss 101. Um, but generally speaking, the greater the calorie deficit is, um, the more compromises and trade-offs you're going to have. Now, these compromises and trade-offs are going to be from the likes of your hunger, your cravings, performance, so fueling, your recovery, even things to like mass mass retention, um, all that kind of stuff. So the bigger the calorie deficit, the worse this is going to be for you. And when you think of athletes, obviously they've got very high training demands, they've got very urgent recovery demands, and all this stuff tends to go south pretty quickly. And this is why a lot of athletes will just burn out and crash with their fat loss um, goals very, very quickly um, because they just try to do everything at once. They don't have realistic timeframes to work to and essentially they just don't know how much or how quickly to drop um so long story short with this point is a case of when we look to set fat loss goals so when i have guys my athlete coaching clients or i tell my coaches what to set their athletes we're looking anywhere between about 0.5 one percent drop in body weight per week so that is kind of like a nice um, middle ground of being in a moderate calorie deficit uh, to be able to drop body fat at a decent rate. So you've got momentum with it, um, but you don't really have and don't experience too many compromises or trade-offs where, you know, if it's lower than 0.5% loss per week, then, you know, you haven't really got out the gates yet. Everything's just a little bit too slow and you don't really make momentum. And then we have like compliance issues is like, right, I haven't seen any results over the last two, three weeks. Is this working? Like, do I trust this process? Um, 
no, I just really can't be asked for this. Is now it's a lot of sacrifice for no results. I can't be asked. So we need to have some decent calorie deficit to get us moving in the right direction. Um, but likewise, if you go higher than one percent loss in body weight per week, um, then yes, obviously you drop body fat quicker. Um, but that's when all these compromises comes around and really sort of kicks you in the ass, really. So again, like your performance will go south, your recovery, even things like perhaps muscle mass retention, you're going to be moody, you know, your stress scores are going to go up, um, your performance is going to go down, all that sort of bad stuff that we do not need. So the first thing is just looking at the calorie deficit. So if we think of your maintenance calories, so the maintenance calorie intake, essentially um, the amount of calories you expend and we're basically eating the same amount back so if you burn 3,000 calories a day and you eat 3,000 calories back you're staying the same weight same body fat because we only we know we can only drop body fat in a calorie deficit um so the way i look to do it is essentially just dipping them into a 15 percent so one five percent calorie deficit and that gets them moving in the right direction quite nicely um but I mean, like when you look at research, they kind of, I think the highest I've seen is about 40% calorie deficit. But generally speaking, these are untrained individuals who have higher portions of muscle, uh, sorry, fat mass. And, you know, they have no sort of uh, urgent performance goals or recovery demands. So, you know, they can kind of just sit in a decent calorie deficit without all these compromises really come to effect. But if you're like moderately lean and you've got high training demands, no, you can't be pushing big calorie deficits because, again, you are just going to burn out, crash, and it's just not going to be a very good thing. So first point, um, think about the calorie deficit. You go, Are you going too fast and too hard too quickly? Um, if you are, then you just need to pull things back uh, because in terms of these compromises and trade-offs, everything needs to be manageable. Um, if you feel like in any area, when I look at this is – Again, the compromises, your cravings, hunger, physical performance, mental performance, um, your recovery, that's things like muscle soreness, you have that spring your step still, overall enjoyability of the diet, and so on. Um, what what are they like? Are they going in the right direction or not? And uh, this is these are the compromises that we look at, and it needs to be manageable. If anything kind of dips into the red and you're really, really, really struggling, is a case of like, right, okay, you're probably in too much of a deficit, you need to bang your food back up a little bit. So your calorie intake is a little bit higher, and essentially you just have more energy available to support your performance and hunger and everything like that. So point number one, don't go too aggressive with it. Point number two, um, athletes generally don't prioritize their eating and their nutrition with their training or competition. So, yes, they kind of understand the fact that I need to be in a calorie deficit, which is obviously very good. Um, but they then try to still be in a calorie deficit during their performance sessions and the sort of um, competitions, the events, the games, and so on. And we know that, uh, like I mentioned in point one, we're always going to have compromises here. If you restrict your calories and carbohydrates during a performance session and when you need to be at your best at your competition, you're never going to be. And so when we look at the periodization side of things, um, we always look at, first of all, your weekly calorie intake. So say, for example, uh, you are competing on the weekend and it's perhaps an endurance event. So therefore, you would need to do some form of carbohydrate load the day before. So say the competition Saturday, Friday would be a carbohydrate load, 
and the Saturday will be your event. So you can have enough carbohydrates and so on to fuel for that work required. So all of a sudden, out of your seven-day week, you've got five fat loss days and two performance days. We know that we do not want to restrict calories on your performance days. And essentially, if you do that, that's when you're going to run into big troubles. But these performance days, now they're not a calorie surplus. You're not eating in excess. You're just eating at maintenance. So whatever you're burning, you're just eating the same amount of calories back. So therefore now we have to create this calorie deficit throughout the training week. So all we do now is look at the calorie deficit, say your Monday through to a Thursday. So yeah, Sunday through to a Thursday. And that's what we need to sort of dip down because we know that when we're in season, we're competing all the time. We're always going to have those performance days there are non-negotiable um, compromises with calorie intake. They have to be um, nice and high to facilitate performance. So that's an issue that I see a lot of people try and do. They either go too aggressively throughout the training week and they kind of have this in mind that they need to bring their food up for the weekend, but they don't do it anywhere near enough. Um, or that they just kind of go through a linear diet and approach, eat the same amount of food every single day, hard training day, easy training day, a light training day, you know, a, a four hours or a bike ride, whatever, they eat the same amount of food. And, you know, we really need to focus on meeting the body's demands. And again, think of your week and periodize it accordingly. So we always work off your weekly calorie intake. So say, for example, you, on average, you need 3000 calories a day, you know, that's 21,000 calories in the week. It's like, okay, obviously you're uh, Friday, Saturday, and the scenario will be higher. So, say for example, you do I don't know three and a half thousand on the carb load, and four thousand on a sort of competition. You add them up and subtract them from the weekly total, and that's what you got remainder of the week. So that is your calorie budget. Now, if you're not dropping body fat fast enough, you take it away from those numbers. You never take it away from the weekend. That is like a very much a non-negotiable um, because we know that even if you go into a carbohydrate load you know very very depleted you know within 24 to 36 hours of a high carbohydrate diet uh you can replenish most of your glycogen stores uh both in the muscle and the liver so you're ready you know your tanks are topped up going to that competition and game then so you have confidence in that is that you can go a little bit aggressive throughout the trainer week and then that you can be fresh for the weekend uh that being said is almost a case of like, what's the cost of getting lean? So how low are you willing to take your calorie intake throughout the training week? And are you willing to, um, you know, experience those trade-offs and compromises? So again, always think about that. Like when I look at fat loss and do long-term planning with my coaching clients and athletes, um, I will look at the whole year. You know, obviously like we can drop body fat pretty well in season but it's not going to be optimal because we're always going to have two hours you know two hours seven days in a performance phase which is maintenance so um you know that's ultimately going to slow us down a bit but if we said had a pre-season off-season or so on where we don't have these urgent performance and fueling demands and recovery demands we can sit in a calorie deficit like a moderate calorie deficit for quite a long time and do the bulk of the work there um because you know we don't have to be at our best on the weekend so I tend to look at the whole year first, plan for that accordingly, where can we push for fat loss, where can we focus on maintaining and performing at our best, and so on. Um, but you know, if you 
uh, kind of late to the game a little bit and you still need to drop a little bit of body fat, then you have to do it in season. That's how I'd look to do it. Um, for yeah, so essentially, just do not cut your calories on the weekends when you need to be at your best because calorie deficits and optimal performance do not go hand in hand. Okay. So point number three or five, um, everybody underreports. So oh, they say not everybody, but a lot of people. So one thing I've learned very very quickly when I first started in the industry was um, if the math doesn't add up, it doesn't add up. So if I know an athlete is burning, I don't know, say three three and a half thousand calories a day, and they report that they're eating two thousand calories or even less. Uh, they're not losing body fat or body weight. Realistically, they are not eating 2,000 calories a day. They are eating probably 3,000, 3,500 calories at maintenance. So this is a case of everybody, not just athletes, but general population as well. We always have a tendency to under-report the amount of calories we consume and over-report the amount of exercise and activity we do. Um, and with that, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult to pinpoint where you're going wrong, really. So um, say, for example, this could be a case of, you know, it could just be um, just a little bit of like naivety, just perhaps not knowing. Um, no, if you don't know, you don't know. Um, I always remember the story of when I first started out, I um, wrote a meal plan and for a rugby player. And I can't remember how many calories it was, but it was it, on paper is enough for him to drop body fat, and he just wasn't dropping body fat. And it's literally like asking him, like, "How you? How's your endurance? You sticking to it?" And he's like, "Yeah, Chris, bro, yeah, yeah, I've been on it absolutely fine, hundred percent." And I was like, "Okay, this is weird. Let's uh, let's go and grab a coffee and have a let's have a chat about this and troubleshoot today a bit more." And um, you know, he's buying, so I was like, "Oh, I love Americana," and it was around Halloween time, and you know, he goes for like that pumpkin Thai chi latte, like 350 calories or something. And I was like, mate, um, how many of these do you have a day or, or a week? And he's like, oh, you know, if I wanted to a day. And I was like, fucking hell. Like that's, you know, 350 to 700 calories on top of everything you're eating per day. And I was like, you know, they contain a lot of calories, right? And he's just like, do they? He's like, you know, you just assume they same as water almost so um this is the thing sometimes if you don't know you just don't know so as soon as like he did a simple switch from these two big lattes a day to you know like um a flat white or which is still about 100 or so calories or to americana which is like 20 calories or so um you know he started dropping body fat pretty quickly and started moving in the right direction so sometimes in case of you just don't know where the calories are coming from and these really really add up um, and then sometimes, and to be fair, unfortunately, most of the time, people just lie. Um, you know, whether it's just like insecurity around food and they don't want to be judged on what they're eating. Um, that is a big thing I see a lot. And, you know, like if you say, for example, I wake up, all I have is a an omelette and then I have like a salad or stir fry lunch. And I'll have like, uh, you know, like a stir fry with a bit of chicken and a little bit of rice, even, you know, pretty low and he's not dropping body fat or she's not dropping body fat, you know, ultimately they're just talking shit, um, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it's just a massive case of underreporting. And again, it could be a case of lying or they simply just don't know that these little things are sneaking in and they're not taking account for it. You know, if they're having like a cup of tea, you know, are they having five biscuits with it? 
you know, these are things that they probably just don't register. Um, you know, if say cyclist, I work with one before who was, you know, they do like he's do is like three or four hour rides every sort of um, day or every other day, and you know he's still tanking in like his carbohydrates doing, um, you know his gels and all that kind of stuff, which you know I definitely recommend um, because you know that carbohydrates fuel uh, exercise performance, but he just wasn't registering that they were, you know, full of sugar and you know they contain calories. And I was like, yes, we still have to account for these in your total daily intake. You know, they still count. Uh, and there's a case of maybe like a thousand calories a ride. So sometimes like if you don't know, you just don't know. And this is why the education side of things is so important. And why I try and make my athletes I really sort of understand what they're doing. So they do become self-sufficient and they do have autonomy. And then, you know, they can sort of be self-aware of all these sort of things that they sort of um, could potentially run into that's going to slow down progress. So point number three is really a case of most people lie and the other people just don't know. <laughs> they just don't know that they're lying, um, which kind of ties into point four uh, a little bit. So their environment doesn't support their goal. So obviously during the current um, you know climate that we're in at the moment with uh, coronavirus and so on everybody's sort of isolated they're locked indoors and you know they have um you know bulk bought and often in the case they've bulk bought um a lot of high fat high sugar foods and you know it's in the cupboards whether it's maybe it's not even for them it may be for you know their partner the kids or so on um you know if it's the it is most likely going to get eaten, okay? So we know that, you know, if you are bored, you're stressed, you're frustrated, you know, you're most likely going to overeat to keep yourself occupied, to keep yourself busy. And we know that when you are stressed or you're frustrated, um, then we know that sort of high fat, high sugar, these hyperpalatable foods have a calming effect on the body and reduce stress. And we know then that kind of triggers food rewards. So your body remembers that these kind of foods had a calming effect, like you were once stressed and felt like shit, and then you had this food and you felt great. Um, so next time you fall into that state of being stressed, you know, it's going to trigger you to then go for those same foods because it knows it's going to have a calming effect. And that's going to be like a vicious cycle. Every time you sort of fall into that, it's just going to sort of solidify that pathway. And, you know, you're going to sort of uh, fall off track uh, without even kind of wanting to or knowing it because we know that when you're stressed, you do impulsive things. Um, as the saying goes, like when emotions are high, intelligence is low, you don't really think what you're doing. You kind of just, you just do it and you just kind of grab it. And so the whole idea is to make sure your environment supports your goals because if you think of this whole willpower situation, you know, it's finite. You're going to run out of it at some point and there's only so many times you can say no to those cookies in the cupboard. You walk past it like, no, no, no. Then on that end time, you're like, fuck it, yes, I'm going to have that. And essentially, you're just going to have it and essentially overeat. And most likely, these foods are, you know, the the trigger foods. So a trigger food is like, uh, if you get like a bag of cookies or something, um, or a pack of cookies, should I say, um, can you have one cookie, which is like maybe 80 to 100 calories, have it, enjoy it, and then put it back? Or do you tend to go through the whole pack and have about 15? So that would be a trigger food. I, You have one, which leads into next, next, next. 
and oh, it's like a gateway to everything else and it just goes into full and binge. So these foods I just definitely do not want to have in the house. That is self-sabotage. So you eat an environment that is essentially not going to support your goals. Um, and, you know, if you do have to have them in the house for some reason, whether it's to, you know, appease the children or partner or something like that, then, you know, I'd like to do a little bit of if-then planning. So this is why I've done a fair bit with my clients for the last couple of weeks um, if they've been in this situation. So it's a case of like, if I want this, then I do that, or then I grab that. So essentially just write on a piece of paper, have two columns, uh, one column, if. So it's like, if I want, and then a list, chocolate, crisps, sweets, whatever. Then you just next to it says, then I grab this. And this could be foods that support the goals. You know, your generic kind of fruit, nuts, protein bars, yogurts, uh, whey protein, all that kind of stuff. And essentially, they just have a preloaded answer to the cravings that they are having. So if you don't have them in the house and you don't have that sort of beneficial alternative, you're always going to go for option A. You know, if that's the new, new option, you're going to have it. But if you have an option B, then it's like, okay, maybe I'll go for option B instead. Now, it's not foolproof. Um, you know, it's going to work most of the time, but sometimes it's not going to work, okay? So this is something I like doing, and so far it's been um, working pretty well. Again, not every time, but, you know, if it works 75 80% of the time, you know, it's pretty good, and it really just minimizes this um, sort of like overeating and stuff like that. So long story short, make sure your environment supports your goals. So essentially, you're trying to create the environment so the environment creates you. Um, and say, for example, the part-time recreational athletes to work with, um, when they are back in the office and stuff, you know, it is usually quite a stressful environment. And there's always somebody's birthdays, a celebration going on. There's always chocolate, there's cake, there's donuts brought in because it's a Tuesday afternoon for some reason. Um, you know, you combine that environment and, uh, you know, combine the environment of high fat, high sugar foods and a lot of stress. And we know this is impulsive um, actions that we have when we're stressed. You know, there's only going to be one answer and it's going to be very, very hard. Um, so as best you can, just make sure your environment supports your goals, you know, become a product of your environment. And then point number five, they go too hard on food restriction and perhaps not necessarily calorie restriction. So everything we look at here is for sustainability. There's no point doing a diet really hard and aggressively for two weeks, three weeks, four, six weeks, or however long it takes. Adhere to absolute perfect. And then when you finish the diet, you just fall off the wagon. You know, you just you know, like, fuck it, I'm just going to go back to eating like normal because I've been so deprived of my favorite foods. And you see this most commonly in weight-making athletes, fighters especially. So, you know, they'll just cut really aggressively in camp. You know, they got us, you know, like urgent deadline. They go really hard, really strict. They can handle these compromises at the time because motivation's high. You know, they're, you know, they're having it like chicken breast, the rice, the broccoli, the sweet potato, really, really sort of strict. And then what happens after they sort of compete? They blow out. They put on like five, seven, eight plus kilos in the space of a couple of weeks. And then the next fight gets announced. And then you have to go through this whole cycle. And the reason why they just blow up and balloon 
um, it's because it's been too restrictive. They've, you know, restricted their favorite foods way too much. Um, and they just end up overeating and just compensating. And, you know, it's going to be a, a natural thing. As long as, you, as soon as you take away the urgency of that end goal, um, you know, you're going to have the, like that fucking mentality and just eat everything. Uh, you see this a lot with bodybuilders as well. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be times where we do have to tighten up on food, um, food choices, and really restrict them um, just so things are more manageable. But on a whole, you don't go cold turkey and eliminate everything. You still need to have this type of balance. Um, like a big thing for me when I work with weight-making athletes is this real thing to combat, like being able to make weight in a sustainable way. So then we don't have to balloon and therefore we don't have a huge weight cut going into the next fight. Like wouldn't it be nice if fighters can just do a whole sort of camp, um, not in a big calorie deficit, you know, they never can be performing optimally. So there's no real need to, you know, do a dieting approach really, really aggressively for whether it be four, six, eight, 12 weeks, really hard, really restrictive with your, um, not only your calorie intake, but your food choices, and therefore just rebound after. Mm-hmm. We really have to focus on the long-term approach, and longevity is the name of the game here. So dieting isn't an on-off switch. It's very much like a dimmer switch. So like we mentioned before, we always have this like baseline diet, and all we do then is we just dial things up and dial things back down depending on the time frame and the proximity towards like the event, um, fight, competition, game, you name it. So don't think of dieting as an on-off switch. Just think of it as like a dimmer switch or like a sliding scale. We're going to dial things up and then we're going to dial things back down, but we never switch it off. We always maintain, you know, the good eating habits and behaviors regardless of what we're doing here. Uh, so the key point number five is, as you mentioned, food restriction is not great for fat loss. We need to focus on calorie restriction. And then I think a lot of other people uh, spend too much time focused on kind of these next sort of five small parts. And these five small parts, they do offer some value. Um, when it comes to building diets and making it more complete, but they're definitely not the low-hanging fruit like the previous five. So these next five really are things like meal frequency, fat loss foods, macronutrient ratios, so your fat, carbs, and proteins, uh, your meal timings, and the supplementation side of things. Now, we're going to go into this in more detail in due course, but generally speaking, what I find is a lot of people spend too much time playing with these areas, really fine-tuning, looking at the meal timings, the perfect macronutrient ratios, all this kind of stuff, and they really forget about these big things like this low-hanging fruit, like, like I like to call it. And it's very much the elephant in the room, you know. You have to address these things first. Once they're done and they're solid in a sustainable way, then we can look at these other five smaller things which are going to fine-tune the diet and make things um, more complete, like we said. So, and sorry to say with these next five things as well, they perhaps could be a little bit more specific to athletes for general population. These things really don't have any merit in that diet at all. Um, those things like, say, more frequency, times, and so on is more than towards the performance element of it within a calorie-restricted diet 
So you can still get the best of both. I the periodization of everything. But for general population, those are the next five things. Um, they really, really don't matter at all because they're more low on fruit. And that concludes episode one of the Average to Elite podcast. Um, I really hope you've got some value from this and you can take it away and start implementing um, not only now, but obviously when the uh, pandemic finishes and everything returns to normal with regards to training and competition. Um, you know, like my big thing for this is to take it a long way and offer as much value as possible and grow it, the podcast as much as I can. So your comments and your feedback is going to be absolutely crucial for me to drive this forward. So I'd love to know if uh, anything you'd like to hear um, or any sort of critical feedback in terms of the content I provide or like even like the production side as well, because obviously I want this to be uh, really good and beneficial for everybody moving forward. So please comment below. And obviously, if you took any value from this, please share amongst your fellow athletes, uh, peers, friends, family members. That'd be absolutely awesome. And obviously, don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, uh, stay safe, stay indoors and wash your hands. I'll check your face soon, guys. Bye-bye.